to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. Hey friends, happy Thursday and welcome back to another episode of the Embody Podcast. If you guys are loving what you're hearing on the show, I would really appreciate it if you slid over to iTunes, dropped a five-star rating, a written review, and just let me know what you are, what you're loving about the show, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. All feedback is welcome and that feedback helps continually organically grow the show and get the show into more ears and more souls across the world. So today on the Embody Podcast, I have an amazing guest, Maxine Iheresi. So Maxine and I are Instagram acquaintances, and we just had a really amazing, deep, soulful conversation, throwing out really, really amazing Um, questions back and forth actually. It felt like I was sitting down to have coffee or tea with somebody who is just ready and willing to muse about the depths. So Maxine is an embodiment coach and a somatic experiencing practitioner in training. She helps women cultivate a compassionate and nurturing relationship with themselves so that there is a rich, fertile inner ground to stand on when they are navigating the waves of life. She uses an integrative approach to somatics, self-reflective symbology, and a nature-based practice to help bring clients into coherence with their truth and tend to the needs and desires that support their thriving. We talked about liminal spaces, somatic experiencing, self-centered belonging, these different threat responses as protectors, and again, we just mused on all of these really amazing questions that we threw back and forth to each other. So I hope that you guys enjoy the podcast and without further ado, enjoy the show. I am so excited today. I have an uh, Instagram acquaintance. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, Maxine and I have just kind of DM back and forth, mused about our different opinions on certain things. And I really just love to follow her because her Instagram, I have it pulled up here. I'm just like, oh, so much. The vibe I get from your Instagram page is nature and space. And Mm -hmm. I really, really love the authentic embodied vibe that you put off on your Instagram. So I'm so excited to get to know you through this podcast and have an amazing organic conversation. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. That's a really wonderful just reference to my Instagram page because I know, you know, in the world of presenting oneself online, um, at least I anyways, (laughs) sometimes uh, don't totally know if if my intention um, is translating through the page. And uh, it's really nice just to have that feedback. Yeah, it's your your page is like really beautiful and it has just like this very earthy organic vibe to it and this is the embodied podcast and a lot of the 
content that I try to put out into the world. And at least, especially the interviews that I interview people are people that I feel like are truly embodying their work and Mm -hmm. really trying to stay with the passions that are moving through them and just really doing a, I guess the word is like, authentic is just so used used so much, Um, but you're just so authentic. So um, the first, the first kind of question that I want to, to kick off the show with is, so you are in somatic experiencing practitioner training. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you just started your intermediate year, right? Yeah. Yay. Clap, celebrate. Um, My curiosity is what made you turn towards that type of work in particular, like what was the energy that was pulling you in that direction to work with the nervous system, to work with somatics and make that a greater part of your work? Mm -hmm. I appreciate framing the question, like what kind of energy pulled you towards that? Um, I think it was the, it was the energy of, of slow and held um, there's kind of like a real slow and held vibe that I get from nervous system work and trauma work, um, mm. particularly in the in the SE lens. And so what, what drew me towards it was also like the, the empowerment um, that comes from learning about the language of my nervous system and how that can be so empowering to, to move me from a place of feeling really victimized by the sensations that I might be experiencing or the responses I might have um, and have had in the past. So as a little bit of a, a background, like getting to SE was, um, I've been a, a client of SE therapy for and, and practitioners for a few years now. Um, and my very first introduction though, to the possibility of the body having something to do with how I was feeling was um, as an 11 year old experiencing panic attacks and hyperventilation and tremors, full body tremors. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember much from that time because my memory kind of fuzzed out, but one, one thing that I really took with me was the introduction of, um, I don't know if it was EFT tapping from a, th- from a therapist, but there was something about tapping on my collarbones. And I remember really taking that with me. And as I moved into adolescence and, um, and then into my 20s, I just kept coming back and back and back to um, something that that tapping was doing for me, um, something that it was doing for me. And I think through the um, through being like exposure to body works, I was a yoga teacher for quite a period of time and, and then kind of became a rogue yoga teacher as I ventured off <laughs> the standard path. And I started studying things like developmental movement and I was being influenced by Feldenkrais and um, various other uh, body-based practices and uh, and I don't know how it happened but somehow one of um, Peter Levine's books ended up on my bookshelf I think I saw it on somebody else's bookshelf and I grabbed it and I said this looks cool And I began reading into it and just began to really tie things together with some more curiosity and compassion for what happened as an 11 year old. 
um, and some of the like the remnants of the um, the shaking that I really took with me. I'm somebody who tends to tremble a lot when it comes to any kind of like stimulus or activation if I feel a little bit nervous. Like even before doing this podcast, I could feel it a little in my jaw. Um, but now, you know, now I know, like, and now I know what it can do for me. And I, now I know that it's a, a sensation of mobilization and the energy of movement and moving into something an initiation. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, like it, it's just kind of been both kind of serendipitous that different, um, particularly with somatic experiencing that different things kind of ended up in my path that drew me towards studying SE. Um, but it really was this, uh, this intersection of, um, the, the language of my body and getting really curious about what that, what that was meaning, but also like how I was making meaning out of it. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it makes a hundred percent sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think you articulated it beautifully. Um, the thing that really, stood out to me one thank you for sharing that kind of vulnerable story of your past right because that gives the listeners and myself context for your path but the thing that really stuck out to me was like the the element of slowness you said I think something about like slow and held right Mm -hmm. and something about that like soon as I heard you say that I was like oh that's turning towards soul because soul isn't in a rush to, to, to be anywhere. <laughs> um, there is like a slowness about our depth, I feel like. And I feel like a lot of times when we are doing work on ourselves, um, mm-hmm. it can start to get boxed into a certain way of doing things. And it turns into this kind of rigid, structured, straight line forward. Like it's a forward motion. And that like slowness that I feel like SE does is it kind of advocates for the soul, the parts of the soul that are unprocessed, they're held in the body. Be like, whoa, 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 wait, what about this material that you haven't processed from the past? I'm curious, how do you... I do feel like SE is a really great, um, I'll use the word methodology, methodology to bridge the kind of scientific trauma world and this kind of sacred spiritual soul world. How do you integrate those different areas of trauma healing? And do you find yourself like tending, like, moving towards the science route sometimes and then moving towards the sacred route sometimes like how do you build the bridge and incorporate soul really i'm smiling externally but also internally (laughs) at that question um especially around you know getting pulled towards the kind of the sciencey academic academic side of like theorizing and mapping it all out and having a framework and a structure and then the side of um, soul and the possibility of um, meaning making, but also what can emerge from a place of slowness, um, and something that it, something that you you just spoke to, like I, soul doesn't really need to get anywhere. It's kind of, it's always here. Um, 
so there's like there's the one side of like piecing together how to get to here and then there's the part that's like always here um but we don't always have access to it um and so how there's kind of two questions there so yes i definitely get pulled in either direction <laughs> and um i have felt it many times throughout my both throughout my studies and just my personal self-work journey and just growth that um, I will get pulled towards one way more than the other and the intensity that I get pulled or the kind of frenetic energy that I might get pulled towards kind of like logic and framework and things like that can give me an indication that um, I'm, I may be feeling uh, I may be feeling unsettled in my in the possibility of trusting in the process like there's a way that I can get pulled one way or the other rather quickly and um, mm -hmm. so the way that I, I work to integrate this both for myself and also um, with my clients is cultivating a, like first a space for integration like the possibility of a space for integration where mm -hmm. it's kind of like there are a few uh not rules, but a few like sacred promises <laughs> that it doesn't need to be figured out and the process isn't finality and mm. the meaning is yours to make. And um, just like creating a pocket of space where it doesn't need to be figured out unnecessarily and, um, and a place where we can also um, be curious about what, what emerges from there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking that what am I thinking about? So when I was a when I was a kid, I was really really drawn to um, I really wanted to be an archaeologist or a paleontologist, kind of both, like any ologist, but like specifically some someone who worked with bones and like digging things up. Um, <laughs> and I also wanted to be a journalist. So there's there's like a part of me that like really loves to dig and really loves to like brush off the bones of things and be like, hey, see, look at all these pieces. Like, I wonder how they fit together. Um, mm. So there's very much a piece of me that that aims towards towards that kind of digging and that looking for, for structure. Um, but there's also, I think I try and really remind myself to tap into it from more of a childlike place and a, a place of wonder. Um, mm -hmm. so even when I'm like, you know, metaphorically digging up the bones um, and trying to see how it all fits together. It might be possible that I can I can come at it from a kind of place of innocence and curiosity too. And I feel like when I'm not able to do that, that that might indicate to me um, that I'm falling into some kind of trap. <laughs> it's, it's so like nuanced too, like catching mm -hmm. those moments of like the, the quickness to like go into like structure as opposed or logic, shall I say, as opposed to like staying with, especially when you're working with clients, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of staying, staying with your discomfort, their discomfort, the discomfort, and just slowly easing into logic. And it's like, well, if we're jumping there and cannonballing into that, like that might be an indication of something. And it's so nuanced, like it's so subtle sometimes. It's not often like a quick thing. And so mm -hmm. um, your own work on yourself is such a, such a gift 
to other people mm-hmm. when you're working with people, right? I'm like, so like that story about being like wanting to be like an archaeologist or a paleontologist. I'm like, so cool. Because I'm just like, oh, yes, my mind. I like I, I really am drawn to like imagery. Like I feel like image is like my primary. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What, I don't know what word it is. But like, I feel like images really speak through me. And I'm just like really sitting with how when you are doing sacred healing work on yourself, it is like going into these like ancient, oftentimes ancient parts of ourselves, different places Mm -hmm. that I'm not sure what you believe in particular, but I don't necessarily believe that we are born just blank slates and we're just receiving input from our environment. I feel like there's some blueprinting that goes on from past lives, the people who have come before us. And so when you said that meta, that, that imaginal metaphor, I'm just like, wow, yeah, that's actually really accurate for what the process is, is you are like pulling from these things that are, are, are layered on top of. And also like the journalist piece, I find that interesting, right? Because there are certain movements, I guess, that would um, advocate for someone to be the creator or the writer of their story. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like the stories that have come before us and that exist in us balance out or like how are they in relationship to the story that we're writing basically what I'm asking is like how much of the ego is involved in this process the the writer right the journalist how much is the ego involved in all of this ancient dig that we're doing hopefully that question wasn't too out there no, I think, you know, in some contexts, it could be too out there, but I, um, I also, <laughs> I also really use imagery and metaphor a lot um, for myself, also in my work, but like, it's just kind of how, how I work. So it was actually, the question like makes sense, and I'm sitting with it. And what I'm thinking about too, um so in regards to like how much the, the ego is involved in the process of like um, doing the digging, like surveying, piecing things together and how much of it is, um, is and are you asking kind of like how much of it is just like an emergence from the landscape itself? Yeah, or, you know, let's just bring, you know, words like maybe fate or mm-hmm. um things that are greater than us that are kind of orchestrating all of this divine human experience it's like how much of like where's the balance there like do you feel like this work is in essence a spiritual experience I think so uh, <laughs> I think so for sure and my understanding of of um the ego is what the ego really uh really desires is um well essentially to to be safe is one of the main things like to be safe enough um to be safe enough to then act out whatever 
wants to be acted out. So when mm-hmm. I think about um, like going in and, and doing the digging, there's an element to us that needs to feel um, safe enough in that process and like contained and held enough in that process uh, that we can that we can allow um, for what we don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Both what we don't know, um, the possibility for what we don't know, but also for um, perhaps things um, that we've forgotten to to emerge. Um, so you know, if I'm thinking about like I also don't necessarily I don't believe that I'm just a I was just a blank slate birthed from my mom and and this is you know this is it and I'm just a collection of sensory experiences. And the only reason why I really don't think that is because um, my mind is so easily blown that I can't imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine that that's it. Like, <laughs> it just, it's just more fun to imagine that that's not it. Um, <laughs> right, right. So, um, so that's, that's how I'm going off that. Um, <laughs> but if that, if that kind of makes sense, that I feel like, I feel like there's a way that the, the ego needs to be safe enough and and in in efforts to feel safe enough in the activity of of digging and piecing things together and um, weaving a story and telling a story and expressing a story, um, that that sometimes the ego then will uh, you know attempt to control certain elements to feel safe enough in in that. Um, mm-hmm. So that balance then of like feeling safe enough. Mm-hmm. To, risk, to risk the possibility of something emerging that either we don't know yet or we've forgotten I think yeah. that's the, the balance is and that's what when I bring it into the framework of um, somatic experiencing that process of uh, titration and just going a little bit in and a little bit out and resourcing enough safety and connection to kind of get to the next level of capacity um, yeah yeah. You did a beautiful job with my super confusing question. <laughs> so I love I love the question. <laughs> so yeah, like in in the I guess the psychological terms we would deem that like relevant like relativizing the ego. So the ego is in right relationship to the things that are greater than it. It's not the mm-hmm. owner of the psychic house. It's just the person that's kind of trying to hold it down, hold the house down. It's like a renter. Mm-hmm. And then the oh, land I, look. I love that metaphor. I know you you mentioned it on one of your podcast episodes once. I was at the gym when I was listening to it. And you you mentioned the the ego being the, you know, it's like the doorman of the house. But what happens mm-hmm. when the ego as the doorman suddenly believes that well the ego is the owner of the whole house. <laughs> right. What happens then, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the trap that we can fall into when we kind of act out as if we are this blank slate and we're just completely creating our own story. We get caught in, we get caught in these messes, right? Of all of these things that are unknown outside of our house, trying to get in our psychic house. And I do love that you went with the route of safety, right? Because this dual function of the ego is to be the center of consciousness, to create this relationship with all the divine unknown, but also to protect that 
in which that has already become conscious. And so there, that's where you can get into these, these places of control if the psychic house just really doesn't have adequate protection around it. I don't know if I want to use that word because I feel like our protection, and this is something that we kind of spoke of before we hit record, this, the ways in which we protect ourselves, um, I think that they contribute to our identities at certain moments in our life, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes those things are outdated or they're so, they go so far in one direction that I'm gonna use the word that you use, like we've forgotten the truth of parts of who we are. Right. And so something that we had discussed on Instagram is, is this kind of people pleasing type of behavior. Right. And we were just kind of musing back and forth on this Instagram post that deemed it as unconscious manipulation. And I'm unsure if that is respectful to the protective impulse of that actual experience. Because I think a lot of people fall into that people-pleasing behavior because it's protective. And if I've learned anything from doing body work, it's like, you don't want to disrespect the things that saved your life. Mm -hmm. They might just need some transformation, but they don't need oppression, conquering, or disrespect. So I'm curious, like, what do you have to say about these protective faculties that we have in our bodies, in our psyches to kind of that help us throughout our evolution of being? I really, I really love what you just said of like, they might just need some transformation. <laughs> like that, that could be a possibility. <laughs> Um, and it also makes me want to go down the road of like <laughs> how transformation is initiated, but, um, Ooh. that's like a little, I don't know. I don't know, but <laughs> keep that in mind. Um, we can go there. We can, yeah, we can kind of dog ear that. Um, so I was first introduced to the, the concept of inner protectors, um, by a mentor of mine, um, Andrew Blake in, in some work that we did around, uh, do you know the process called sand tray? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so around the process of sand tray. And um, so sand tray is just kind of like, well, I don't know if I, okay. So it's like, <laughs> you, have, you have a tray and maybe it's filled with sand. In our case, um, when, whenever I've explored it, we've just, we've just used like a scarf. And there's like a collection of objects. Um, you know, when I've done it before, it's just been a collection of little knickknacks that I intuitively um, pull from. And I pulled one for, to represent each kind of archetype. There was a mom, a father, myself, um, an inner protector and connection to spirit is kind of, I think that's the way that we played with it mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and um, that was when I was, and, and we just, you kind of intuitively just arrange them on the scarf or in the sand tray. And then afterwards there's a process of, um, facilitated curiosity and integration and wondering. 
uh, about the placement and the selection of the objects and how they might represent those pieces of us. Mm -hmm. So that was my introduction to uh, inner protectors. Um, and before that, all I had, like, before that, my experience with inner protectors were my um, body sensations and my reactions and responses that I would have. But I didn't, I had a, you know, a fragmented relationship to those in, in that I didn't really know where they were coming from, where they were trying to take me to. I just knew that they were happening. And I was kind of understanding that they were happening to protect me, but I didn't really understand from where to what, how they were doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so the introduction of like inner protectors to how maybe different symbols or archetypes with them was really fun for me. The brain works more in like a metaphor visual way um, because I started to explore how some of my inner protectors were represented by different animals or elements in the natural world and this helped me develop more um, compassion for them but also helped me understand maybe a little bit more about where the the protection was emerging from what it was trying to get um, these pieces of myself um, mm. So just in, you know, for example, talking about the, the people pleasing one and how um, I'll speak from personal example, if I'm in a, if I'm moving towards like a people pleasing response and I'm really in that place, there are certain ways that my body feels and I've got them pretty mapped out now. I don't always totally listen to them right away or am able to, but um, I've kind of built that relationship enough that I know when I'm feeling like I'm people pleasing my breath is a bit more shallow I I do feel more forward facing and kind of small and mm. small back body and and how we feel when we're in different states it you know it gets to be it gets to be different for each one of us um so th those are just kind of some of my physical cues um I tend to speak more high-pitched when I'm in a people pleasing state um, my voice doesn't feel like it's coming from low in my belly. It feels like it's coming from just above my collarbones. That's kind mm -hmm. of another thing that I kind of associate with that. And, um, you know, we spoke about uh, just back and forth in the <laughs> in the DMs around this, around, you know, if people pleasing is subconscious manipulation, like if we're trying to manipulate our way to safety, if we're trying to manipulate or control the environment by appeasing um, a person or people's um, you know, try and control the out preferred outcome of us being accepted um, or being welcomed and um, there was once a time when I and it wasn't too long ago when I also felt that people pleasing was subconscious manipulation um, and this is you know this for me is one of the cases where I moved towards kind of the logical side and like using the words of manipulation in the literal sense. But then right. there's this whole other side of things where like words are, you know, have energetic um, meaning. And um, I don't, you know, it, they, they kind of carry a certain resonance. And um, once I moved more in the space of just kind of being really curious and more compassionate around where that people pleasing in me emerges from, manipulation no longer felt like the word of choice. Uh, it felt like that was actually more self-oppressive. 
um, to, right. to deem that I was um, subconsciously trying to manipulate my environment to secure acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, because the place where, at least for, for me, where that people pleasing was coming from was actually a place of like great innocence. And it was a place of great vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And that place of great innocence and vulnerability doesn't have the, it doesn't have the resources to formulate manipulation. Like it doesn't come from that place. <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what we were kind of going back and forth on was like, I think that that kind of keeps our, that, that innocent part of our soul I mean oftentimes we start to develop these strategies and protective behaviors like really young because we're trying to buy for the attention of others right and like when you say the word innocence yes and it's like because I think that that response is like see me see mm -hmm. see my soul like see who I am and when that word manipulation it's like I feel like that's where logic and quote-unquote ego psychology can keep us locked out of reclaiming these forgotten parts of our souls because it's mm -hmm. like I feel like it's very easy to like you said there was a time where I could <laughs> accept that and that would be fine and I just feel like when you get to the roots of it, it feels, um, it feels oppressive. And I think it's the same fight energy, like, like the fight for attention, the fight for essence, the fight for innocence is like trying to come out in that like space where we're not accepting ourselves as manipulators anymore, I think is the same fight response. Like, oh, that's I think so cool. Yeah, I think it's, I think because that people pleasing response is often very parasympathetic, like attached to like kind of a freeze, mm -hmm. it's like, well, what's beneath that? And mm -hmm. it's like, I think that there's a fight there that's like, see mm -hmm. me. And I think that there's a lot of this going on culturally too, as we try to like remember what we've forgotten. I think that we're, there's people like you, right, who are, are really doing beautiful work that is, you know, you could look at it as, I don't want to call you an alchemist, but like, it's kind of like the black sheep of healing, right? It's like, well, I'm not just going to give you um, buzzwords to make you feel better to superficially navigate the world. No, I really care about your soul. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a radical like way to turn towards what's actually true and reclaim that forgotten innocence like you spoke about. So mm -hmm. another thing that you said, you were asked, you were talking about the protectors and you said, from where to what? And it was mm -hmm. so interesting because the whole time you were explaining that whole spiel about your protection, not once did you mention the word why. Right. And like, word why, I feel like that's where we can like jet off into logic and then we'll just accept that we're manipulators. Ah, that's so cool that you picked up on that because I didn't intentionally leave out 
why I just felt like it wasn't important um, in that in that particular investigation. Um, but yeah, that in that I love the reflection around the the possibility of um, the fight energy because I you know underneath underneath the thaw of a lake even there's the there's the power of the lake and the possibility for waves like it's underneath that and it's just you know a matter of of conditions um the right conditions and um the piece around like the the calling ourselves manipulators especially if we have been what we would call people pleasers and that's something that we identify with that calling ourselves manipulators um can kind of be another way also that that I feel yeah we just kind of layer on more of that ice we just layer on more of that like I'm just gonna you know I'm gonna somehow appease something here by um by kind of covering up that that momentum and that energy even more that wants to move out and through um yeah I think it's morality yeah I think I think like our moralities Mm -hmm have been laid on top of our psychology and now we're starting to confuse like what is okay like good and bad to feel and like if it's bad um we'd we'd rather take on something like a manipulator than feel the badness of anger because Mm -hmm. being angry isn't necessarily um super acceptable for most people because there's not a lot of tolerance for it but if it just is right if it just is and all of it just is and you're just exploring then it all kind of has equal ground and you can just be the curious explorer like you were talking about with the sand tray it's like oh what's happening here instead of like you shouldn't have put that there if you put that there, then that means you're a manipulator, right? So I think that that comes back to like what you're talking about, creating safety, creating acceptance, creating space for this transformation process to, to occur. And I think this is a great place to kind of dovetail into transformation as an initiation process. Speak to me. What, what do you have to say about this? That wasn't a question, but... I was hoping to suddenly turn this into my podcast and ask you that question. Um, oh, shoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think I'll start with that. I don't really know. Um, I think one of the reasons I love to hang out in this, this in-between place Um is because I really, I really adore what happens with the process of transformation. I'm like kind of mesmerized by it. Mm. Um, Because when transformation is occurring, uh, inside of us, say we're, you know, shifting relationship to, um, to an identity we may have with, with ourselves, or one of our inner protectors, a part of ourselves, um, or the transformation of um, that breezy, you know, appeasy, people-pleasing energy, the transformation of that thawing, and then the having the access to the mobilization and the force and like 
and just what is what is present there, the you know, the energy that is present there. That in the process of of transformation, there are things that happen inside of us, and then the part that really blows my mind is what can happen outside of us and is reflected in our environment in the forms of like serendipity and just like happenstance and things that like suddenly we become more aware of around us um, that somehow reflects and reinforce and confirm the transformation that's happening inside. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that's so like, so I don't really know where transformation emerges from if it's, you know, if it's totally self-directed or if there's, you know, the, from the, you know, from the sea of the soul, if it, you know, where the boundaries are, I I really don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and so I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that there is, you know, Jung really thought that the transformation process, individuation in particular, becoming more of your individual so that you can feed back into the collective humanity of it all that it wasn't just a causal process, meaning if you do this, then this will happen. There are a causal things, things that there aren't explanations for, such as synchronicity, which the shorthand definition of that would be just meaningful coincidences. Though mm-hmm. so how you're saying like nature in particular is mirroring back to us the transformations that are happening happening within i don't know if we have causes for that that Mm. are digestible within the human psyche i think that those are things that we're trying to figure out as we increase our consciousness over time um but i think that the way i look at it is like there are certain things that are causal but not all things in leaving space, I think the more space that you have in the psyche for curiosity, um, in creativity, in reflection, the more it's almost like your body's like a receiver and you're like attuning to the greater a causal, I don't know, happenings of it all. Um, it's interesting. I was talking to my fiance this morning and he's really into like spiritual, like religions, exploring different religions and myths. And I've been like pulled into this kind of psyche soul soma stuff. And I just feel like it's interesting because I feel personally like my being, I don't know how to explain this. It's bear with me. Um, it's not like, I'm not meant to like ascend. Like that's not my purpose in this incarnation. Like I'm not supposed to like be out of here. I'm supposed to be like where my feet are. And I think that there's like, there's like a mystery and a darkness about that. Mm. And I think that like being where your feet are can get heavy because then you're bearing the burden of being a human being with all of this a costly stuff that you have no idea what the heck is happening. And 
I'm curious for you, it's like, well, what do you feel like your transformation processes, what have they, because through my transformation, that's kind of what I figured out is like, I don't think I'm supposed to like jet out of here and like be a light worker. Mm -hmm. I actually had a panther inside of me tell me that I was a steward of darkness. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So on the ground where my feet are, what have your transformations, like what have you found about your being here in this incarnation? Like what, what do you feel like is, is really moving through your being that you can't explain? I really appreciate that question. I love that there's a panther living inside of you. (laughs) She, she, she's my protector. Scared the shit out of me at first, but yeah, we're becoming friends. I have, um, I have like a, like a mountain lion protectors one. And then I also have this kind of like, um, mischievous, like coyote, but this, this little one is is definitely a trickster, but always appears not in real animal form, but like totally in like mythic, spiritual, like mm. uh, is almost like drawn. Like there's, it, yeah, um, I got it. I got a little drawn, little sketch of it tattooed on my, the side of my hip, side Super of my left. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, what? Uh, what has my transformation processes processes <laughs> revealed to me about what I'm up to this particular time um, that I might not understand? So I also feel like I'm meant to be here with my feet on the ground, and I'm really drawn to. So I'm I'm a little bit of a a rogue. Buddhist practitioner as well. Uh, I really like to dive into retreats and I really love listening and practicing Dharma. And, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm not always dearly committed. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I really, really love in, in Buddhist practice is the, um, the vow of the Bodhisattva. Um, the Bodhisattva's vow is, you know, until, until all all suffering is realized and transformed and until all beings are free, I'm going to remain here for incarnation after incarnation. And mm-hmm. I, it's something that I really resonate with in, in that um, walking the line between beauty and suffering is something that um, is continuously revealed to me as just where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's something that has come through and the, the the fortunate and difficult experiences around being being near um, some really powerful deaths, um, and um, and then being a caregiver for my grandmother for a few periods, a few years of her life, where she was going through the transformation of um, realizing that she was old. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like I was really I was with her the one day that she just like yelled from the bathroom. And I thought she'd fallen down. I ran into the bathroom. I was like, what's, you know, what's wrong? And she's like holding and pulling at her face. And she's like, I'm old. When did I get old? And there was this like, it was very comical 
and she wouldn't necessarily think this is comical. It was, but it was very funny. And also there was a part to it that was like, I was watching, I was witnessing her like really realizing and vocalizing, you know, this, uh, this reckoning with her, her mortality um, in front of the mirror. And like, that's a place that I'm supposed to be. <laughs> mm. Well, it, something that continuously happens both in, um, yeah, in, in client work is like a very familiar pattern that comes up. You know, I don't advertise that this is what I help people through, um, particularly women through, but um, the, the death of parents and particularly the death of parents um, who one has had a really difficult a relationship around forgiving that's something that continues to come up in my client work as a pattern of mine um that is yeah wild yeah <laughs> huh. yeah so it's really that's really interesting but there yeah there's something about the the suffering and then the the beauty and the awe and that place in between them where i, I continuously land and kind of feel forced to landing <laughs> mm-hmm. over and over and over again um and uh you know and then and then another yeah another place which it really ties into it as well as like um is caring and like what it really means to care about other people um or or the plant or things and like like caring from a place of witnessing death or um or destruction or suffering or somebody's painful experience and what it what it's like to really be in a, a place of caring while knowing that there's nothing i can actually do to fix it um but being in the place of like having the wish to alleviate that without mm-hmm. without being able to do anything is another place that I land. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I think that it really like, what kind of gets constellated in me when you say that is like, oh, we're going back to the roots of what healing was, perhaps before technology swallowed some of that, the roots of healing, Mm -hmm. right? Because we didn't have all of the technology to like, do surgery and do x-rays and ct scans and like rush people into the er right like not calling you a witch but like there were certain practices that people were connected to nature and they were healing people and sometimes all they could do is just be there with those people and tend and care and so it just activates this very i don't know how to say it but it just feels like a remembrance inclusive type of work like healing because I think that I mean that's the reason why I stepped away from physical therapy because I felt like I wasn't even anywhere close to what I felt like a quote-unquote healer should be and from my from my conscience for my daemon like it was Mm. like you just can't do this and it was like, I, I had all of the flexibility I had, you know, I could choose my hours and my schedule, like what a dream for a person coming right out of PT school. And it just was like, I just can't do this. 
and I'm going to have to figure out a new way. And so here we are, but I'm like, so I'm just like drinking in what you said, because it was just like, it was like drinking hot tea. It was so Uh good. (laughs) Warm tea, not hot tea because it didn't burn my mouth. It was really nice. (laughs) And not bitter. (laughs) Yeah. It was really, really great. Like a nice chai latte or something like that. Yeah, I really, I really, really resonate with what you just said. And I think that when coming back to that original like transformation as an initiation process, I think it is exploring death, like capital D death, not physical, literal death. I mean, archetypal deaths, deaths whether they be literal or not, but the metaphorical symbolic deaths that are happening around us in our lives. um, I find that that is an initiation for any ego because I think somewhere along the line, we convinced ourselves of, we got stuck in that like immortality consciousness of childhood and we weren't like initiated into like the, what your grandmother, your grandmother was like, holy shit, I could die. Right? Like, oh my uh, gosh. And I feel like it wasn't even just like the, I could die, like that little death, but it was like, oh my God, I'm old. Like that, the, the death of the archetypal, like from what she was and being initiated into what you know elderhood being initiated into something else that hasn't been there yet like but i was, have died yeah i have it was a real like i have died like the room like the, the the air in the bathroom was still like somebody had died like it was like a it really mm-hmm. felt like a moment <laughs> where i was witnessing yeah. that wow um, yeah and i mean what you just spoke to as well about part of your own transformation process of like just getting that internal hit of like I can't do this it's not even like um you know it's not even like I that I need the resources to do this it's just I can't do this (laughs) it can't continue (laughs) yeah and the clinging that happens in space right like mine was like a a slow drip (laughs) because I was like I'll work 20 hours a week and I'll work 14 and I'll work 10. All right. I'm just going to do it anymore. And then COVID came, came along and just kind of allowed a lot of death to happen for a lot of people, a lot of transformations. For me, I don't want to dismiss anybody's true suffering that they've experienced through this pandemic, but it certainly was a transformation an initiatory transformation process for me because it really was kind of like the universal like right you've been walking this path and like you just kind of like kicked me out the front door and was like Don't go figure it out <laughs> I get I, I hear you I'm a big time clinger as well when it comes to transformation and moving through that threshold I like I keep you know my nails are pretty short but like you know, archetypally, I'm like clawing myself <laughs> into the walls and I have to be like dragged through. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it's the, the longer that we are dragged, I think if we are, have like these mentors, right. To like help us create meaning from these initiations, I think it's, well, if we can shorten the amount of time that we are bringing our way and then we move to a greater space of acceptance, increase our capacity to accept what is, I think that's the best we can do. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. we've got, right? It's all, it's all we really got. And, you know, if we're able to then look back and possibly cultivate a sense of fondness for the part, you know, for the moments when we have really clawed and kicked and screamed, and if we can get to a place where we can reflect on those times and go, oh, you, you know, uh, mm, yeah. you didn't, you didn't want to let go. And mm-hmm. like, I think that's really important too. Um, the, yeah. the ability to reflect with heart on the places we've really hung on. Mm. <laughs> so for my last question, I wanted to ask you, what you thought about this really famous Viktor Frankl quote between stimulus and response, there's a space in that space is our power to choose the response in the response lies our growth and our freedom. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I've had this quote said to me so many times because I've, it's like the main quote of like, like so much, like the, any any yoga teacher training I've ever taken has mentioned this quote. <laughs> I'm glad then. It's like this quote in Mary Oliver poems, which I really love. Um, but it's like both of those things <laughs> come up a lot. Between, can you read the first part again? Even though I've heard it so many times, it's like yeah. Between, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Hmm. You know, I think I think the only thing that has left me at times both really mesmerized with that quote, especially when I first heard it, I was just like, yes, like I have the power to choose, you know, and it felt really empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, but over and, time, and, and dot, 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 that's what I'm curious about. And over time, I, um, I just felt less like kind of electricity with that quote. I felt less like, oh yeah. And and you bringing it up, I'm so glad you brought it up because I don't even, I haven't really thought about it. But there's something for me that's missing, <laughs> missing the, um, there's something in that space in between that, that is articulated, that, that is missing the recognition of um, how that space in between isn't just a space that I occupy, um, but it's actually a space that's connected to everything else. Um, Yes, I'm like, yes. (laughs) That's why I chose to ask you this question because there's so much, like I get the vibe of liminal, I get the vibe of space, like I get this vibe of like 
being a mediator between spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think if we actually had so much free will to like completely choose, this would just be like another like thing. It wouldn't be a, a big thing, but I think it is that that lack of acknowledgement for something else happening there that makes this quote so mesmerizing because it's pretty mysterious because it's like why don't we always have choices yeah why is that so hard yeah why are we not free yeah like so glad that you said that Mm -hmm. so glad I'm so um, glad you asked. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to muse on it a little bit. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, just one last thing because you said it multiple times is like the word mesmerized, um, <laughs> and I find that word fascinating. Um, but it was like before. I'm pretty sure it was like around the time where the Cartesian split between mind and body, they became like separate. There was all of this like mesmerizing happening. It was like magnetism and animism and all these different things were playing themselves out. And it's like, hmm, wonder if mesmerized was actually before the body was split from the mind. You know, maybe it was a time that there was some connection the psyche like a little inkling left and I just wanted to bring that up because you mm-hmm. said it multiple times and I love I love that you said it <laughs> yeah yeah and what does what does mes- being mesmerized have to do with feeling connected to what what it is that's captivating you um I think that piece around like how you know how am I feeling the connection mm-hmm. um, because am I just am I just being you know mesmerized and entranced by it from a really mental state, or is there a way that it's actually permeating my embodied experience of kind of being captured in a, a moment of connection, and also awe, like not fully understanding what it is that mm. I'm feeling connected to, but being like wow, <laughs> and yeah. having a somatic imprint of that. Well, I think that that is a brilliant place to wrap up. So beautifully articulated. Um, Maxine, where can people find you in the world, website, social media, like anything like that that you would want to share with the audience? So on Instagram, I'm I'm usually on there. Right now I'm taking a little bit of a, a hiatus, but it's at Maxine and I. And then my mm-hmm. website just has like my general who I am, how to work with me, what I'm up to. Uh, and that's MaxineIHeresy.com. So Maxine, Iheresy, I-H-A-R-S-Y. And those are the two main places that I'm hanging out in. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and space to be on the show. It was, I think it was an, a spontaneous, organic inclusive conversation so thank you for fostering that space thank you i had a lot of fun <laughs>